Alex Ferrara, and I'm taking a deep dive into the world of beauty and women's health. I'm asking all the questions and trying every product and trend so you don't have to. Get ready for a little glam and a lot of info. This is Glow Up and Speak Out. Sarah Wooten is a family and obesity medicine nurse practitioner based in St. Louis, Missouri, at a clinic that she herself helped develop, Mercy Clinic Weight and Wellness. She was one of only 50 providers in the entire United States chosen to complete the pilot program for the Obesity Medicine Association Certification Program for Nurse Practitioners and Physicians Assistants. She is the co-founder of the St. Louis Obesity Society and is currently serving as the board's vice president. Please welcome Sarah. Okay, Sarah, why obesity medicine? Why is that a passion for you? Why are you so interested in it? So I, my background is family medicine and I was at a conference in Vegas and I decided to do one of the pre-conference workshops and it was on obesity. Um, and obesity is something that's very prevalent in my family. We're Italian. Um, you know, it's very prevalent in that population. And I was like, oh, is there a way that you can treat this medically? Um, so I went and I was blown away. And the first thing they taught me was that obesity is a chronic disease. And I was always taught that it was willpower, you know, eating less, exercising more, and that certain family members of mine maybe just didn't have as much willpower and they ate too much and or any struggles that I had had in college were just personal choices. And it, the way that it impacts your hormones and your appetite and your blood sugar and your insulin, it was like, this makes sense. And when I explain that now to my patients, they cry because they're like, I have a reason for why this happened to me. It wasn't my choice. And so that's why I'm so passionate about that, because when you teach people that there is medical help that they can get for something that most of them have been struggling their whole life, it's it's eye opening and it's actually empowering because most people, a lot of people have given up because they've tried so much. They've, a lot of people have given up because they've tried so hard. And I love that you said it's a personal issue because- I have been so interested in how it's being looked at differently in the medical community recently because it's really a personal issue in my family. My father struggled with obesity his whole life, and he eventually got gastric bypass, and then he passed away from complications from the gastric bypass. And I just remember in the 90s, just seeing him do like diet after diet after diet. And it was like, eat Snackwell's cookies and do Atkins and do, and he just like could not get the help that he needed. And like, I just so wish that there would have been more support because I know there was so much shame because he was trying so, so, so hard. And I love that the stigma is kind of being erased about like, you see an overweight person, you don't know what they're going through. That person could be anorexic for all you know. And that person could be educated. That person could be successful. That person's not uneducated, fat, and lazy. That person could be an executive. That person could be a physician. That person could be someone who has, who knows about what is going on, but yet is having a hard time controlling it. So you first have to educate people about what is going on with them. You have to individually treat them. Not everybody can be on the same diet. It is not a one size fits all. You have to individually treat these people. And when you do a full workup on these people and you show them their results, They're like, oh, this makes sense. This goes back to something from childhood. This goes back to how I've been feeling for the past six months. 
And I'm really into testing vitamin levels. And we can get into that when we talk to, about specific things. But when you just show these people, this is what's medically going on with you. And yes, we can talk about the medical reasons and the metabolic reasons why you're gaining weight. And then we can also talk about behavioral things because it's both. It's not just mm -hmm. a behavior and a personal life choice. And I just really love teaching people that. It's it's really cool. And I just love everything that's coming out now. So I want to get more, more into that, more into detail. But first, I need to touch on something that everyone is talking about, that everyone wants to know about, Ozempic. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, we all know it's this shot that makes you lose weight. But what is it? Like, what is it? And so Ozempic, um, which is semaglutide, it's a peptide. It is only one of the many in this class, um, a glucagon-like peptide one agonist. So it simulates something that you already are making in your body called GLP-1, and it uh, makes your pancreas secrete more insulin and makes that pathway and signaling pathway work more efficiently. When people struggle with weight, insulin resistance is all is often a common cause of that. So that insulin signaling pathway with your pancreas and the beta cells is not functioning properly. So you have excess insulin out in your body not being used correctly inside of the cell. So that causes you to gain weight, especially around the midsection and to have variable blood sugars. When you have variable blood sugars and too much insulin, you store fat because insulin is a fat storage hormone. You cannot gain weight if your insulin is very low. So the goal of these is to make the free floating insulin not there and to lower. And so it seems like an oxymoron because it stimulates insulin secretion, but it, what it does is it also improves the performance of that insulin signaling pathway. So it gives you very stable blood sugars. So that pretty much flips on your metabolism and has it work significantly more efficiently. Other things that it does is it slows down your gastric emptying to make it you full longer. So that's why these people have very little appetite that are on these medications. And that's when actually you can get into trouble if you're not being significantly monitored when you're on these medications, because weight loss is a desired effect, but not loss of muscle mass. And that also can cause the scale to be going down, but you're not necessarily losing as much fat as you are muscle. And that can be extremely dangerous long-term. So you know, we can get into how people are being prescribed this, who is using this, but the GLP-1 hormone is something that you already make. It just extends the half-life of it and makes that signaling pathway more efficient. So then your metabolism works more efficiently. So if, so this is why it's a diabetes medication, because if you struggle with diabetes, you have blood sugar issues and this treats Absolutely. that. Absolutely. And okay. people are insulin resistant for around 10 to 15 years before their blood sugar ever starts to creep up and they get prediabetes. So I have a very uh, strong passion for diagnosing insulin resistance before it becomes prediabetes and diabetes, because you can be, you can see this happening in somebody before it becomes the problem, before they become diabetic, before they require multiple medications, before they develop cardiovascular diseases, um, and other problems, cancers that stem from metabolic disease. Metabolic disease is the precursor to a lot of the chronic conditions that we see. So diagnosing and finding insulin resistance in that decade or so before it causes the blood sugar balance problems and the A1C to go up, that, that's a really huge goal of mine. 
So what are the signs of insulin resistance that you see before it gets to that point where you need to be medicated? There are things that you can see on your body that are signs of it. Skin tags. If you have multiple skin tags that start developing, the neck is a really common place for them. The armpits, different folds on the body and the groin, um, and also acanthosis nigricans, which is darkening in the nape of the neck. Um, It is more common, a little bit more visible sometimes in the African-American population, but you can still see it on um, other populations as well. So it's darkening in the nape of the neck. It'll it'll look like kind of a brown, dark hue, and often they will have the skin tags as well. So those are some actual physiological signs that you can see, but also feeling tired after eating, especially that afternoon slump. It often happens after that midday meal, you get really tired in the afternoon and sluggish. That is a big sign that could be an insulin problem that can develop very early in people before they're pre-diabetic. Also irregular periods when it can mess with your hormones and make you not ovulate the same and have irregular periods. So that that's when we get into kind of the PCOS world because insulin resistance is really common in PCOS patients. Also low blood sugars. So people that get really shaky and then have to eat something, it's like they feel like they're hypoglycemic all the time. So because not only when you have the blood sugar imbalance and that signaling pathway with your pancreas is messed up, you get huge shots of insulin sometimes and you drop your blood sugar and then you feel shaky and clammy and sweaty and then you have to eat. So hypoglycemia can be a sign of insulin resistance as well. And also weight gain around the midsection. When you notice the midsection being the primary place of weight gain, that is usually insulin. So interesting. Okay. So I know when people think of insulin resistance and diabetes, they think metformin. So what's the difference between Ozempic and metformin? And metformin is a fabulous drug. And we actually use it with weight loss as well. Um, And in PCOS, we use it off-label. Metformin is an insulin sensitizer as well. So it also tightens up that insulin signaling pathway and helps the glucose being used better and insulin being used better inside of the cell to make sure that you have more stable blood sugar. So it is very similar. It acts a little bit differently. It does not affect the GLP-1 receptor. It does not decrease appetite as much. And so it doesn't really work on the gastric system like that but it doesn't, it's not quite as powerful for weight loss, but it is wonderful. And actually when I have patients that are on Ozempic or those type of medications, I often add metformin if they're at a plateau or a stall, or sometimes I just start with metformin and they don't need Ozempic or the GLP-1. Yeah. There's so many other medications for obesity, weight loss, other than the GLP-1s that nobody is talking about. It's just the, um, those have gained so much popularity from people because the insulin signaling pathway is so important with obesity that if you don't address it, you don't really get as much metabolic response as you would with some of the other weight loss medicines. And then obviously the celebrity using them all. It's probably right. why else. The, the celebrity Ozempic craze. So, okay. Who is a good candidate for Ozempic? We know it treats diabetes, but who are, if you don't have diabetes, who are the other good candidates for Ozempic? So I am completely open to prescribing off-label when you are there. There is a weight loss version, FDA approved weight loss version of Ozempic called Wagovi that is Mm -hmm. out there. Um, And so that is also semaglutide. It's the same generic peptide and it is called Wagovi. So that is FDA approved. We use that for weight loss. Insurance coverage is probably the biggest issue for that. So we sometimes will use Ozempic off-label 
if their insurance will cover Ozempic for insulin resistance. Lately, it's become very hard to get it covered for anything except type 2 diabetes, and we can't lie and say the patients are diabetic when they're not. So it's it's unfortunate because I said it's so important to address insulin resistance in that decade or so before you become pre-diabetic and diabetic. But if your insurance wants you to be full-blown diabetic before you can get the medication, it's like they want you to be sicker before they'll approve it. And so that is the biggest thing. That is so frustrating. I didn't even think of it that way. It's like, so you're here trying to treat someone before they get full-blown diabetic, but insurance won't cover until they get to that point. Exactly. And so it's, I'm hoping that more and more employers will opt in for obesity benefits because when they will, medications like Wagovi will be paid for. And like I said, Ozempic is not the only one in this class. There is one that is out now that's pretty powerful called Manjaro, but it's only approved for diabetes. And so it also works, it works on that GLP-1 hormone, but it also works on an additional receptor called GIP. And so the results we're seeing with that one is pretty phenomenal because there are GIP receptors in your fat. And so it also causes your fat cells to get rid of themselves and flush themselves out. And we're all at the mental health benefits that we are seeing on these medications, possibly because there's GIP receptors in the brain. But when your blood sugar is imbalanced for decades, it can cause anxiety and depression. So when you stabilize someone's blood sugar, and they're not having these highs and lows all the time. They're not having as mental as many mental highs and lows. And so you, they're like, my mood, I feel more motivated. I feel refreshed. I don't get that afternoon slump that makes me not be able to interact with people or do my job. It, it's pretty amazing. Um, we can have someone come in that it appears that they have significant binge eating issues um, or really like depressive issues when it comes to food. You stabilize their blood sugar and they are a new person. So I, that's why I just think that so many people are good candidates for these medications. And it's just become very stigmatized because when there is a hormonal issue, it needs to be addressed. Right. So let's talk about some of the follow-up care because it's a great medication, but like anything, what I've learned, it's not just like a magic shot, a magic fix. Like you have to see a good provider. You have to make lifestyle changes. And you were talking about, sure, people use it to lose weight, but you don't want them, especially women to be losing muscle. So, so what's kind of like the follow-up care and what are the lifestyle changes that people have to make? Absolutely. And that's what's extremely important. So the program that I work for is called Mercy Clinic Weight and Wellness. um, And we are a comprehensive medical weight management program. So we see these people monthly for six months and we monitor their nutrition, their activity, specifically their protein intake. And so not losing muscle is a huge goal. So biometric screening, we have this scale called the SECA, which is body composition And so you can see skeletal muscle mass, fat mass, proportion of water, hydration. And then you want to, someone can be in the obesity range, but if they're in the sarcopenic obesity range, which means they have poor muscle mass, that's even more dangerous. So you'll see someone that started off with, okay, muscle mass, but then all they're doing from the Ozempic, I call riding the meds, is they're just making the medication starve themselves. They come in, they lose all their muscle mass. They're unhealthier now than when they started. Muscle is the organ of longevity. If you don't have enough muscle, you have lower survivability rate from viruses, which we know are prevalent now. 
cancer, which we know is prevalent now, and plenty of other comorbid conditions. You need to have muscle mass. It's so important as we age. When you don't have muscle, your body ages. That's what that's where the, the uh, term ozempic face was coined. And I know the aesthetic industry significantly took that marketing term and ran with it. But actually what it means is people have lost so much muscle mass that their face is sagging and they're losing their muscle tone and they look saggy. And so I tell my patients, you're going to look a certain way when you lose this weight, if you're meeting your protein goals and weight training, strength training, versus if you're just starving yourself. And actually, if people are not getting in their protein and they're not working out, I will either lower their dose or I'll discontinue their medication because it's so dangerous for them. And we try to monitor them every three to six months on that body composition scale to make sure that they are not losing too much muscle. Also, hopefully these medications become less stigmatized over time because of the data that's coming out about them. Uh, Wagovi, which is the weight loss version of Ozempic, semaglutide, study came out this year that this medication lowers cardiovascular disease risk by 20%. And so those numbers hopefully will give insurance companies and employers what they need to cover this. And so hopefully once one starts, the others will follow suit. Usually it's, you know, Medicare and Medicaid, and they're some of one of the hardest ones to convince. But I really hope that the data coming out about what these medications are doing for chronic disease risk over time will cause other insurance companies to catch on. People can have more access to them because they, they really do so much more than weight loss. So, okay, tell me if this is correct or not, because I'm not a healthcare professional, but I recently read and was learning about this, the hunger hormone ghrelin and how people with obesity, it's like raging as opposed to a thin, you know, 25 year old who maybe is eating normally, but she wants to lose 10 pounds. So is that why that thin 25 year old who wants to lose 10 pounds would not be a good candidate because she doesn't need anything to kind of like tame down that hormone? Absolutely. And this is huge. So I'm glad you asked that. Okay. So obesity is a chronic disease. The definition actually is a chronic relapsing genetic, environmental, and neurobehavioral disease. And chronic and relapsing are two of the most important terms in that. So people will have to deal with it their entire life. It, they may reverse their symptoms and improve all of their numbers and get to their goal weight. But once they get to their goal weight, it's going to be even harder to keep it off the rest of their life. And that is due to something called metabolic adaptation. When you lose weight, your metabolism goes down. And it seems strange because it's like, oh, I'm healthier. Why wouldn't my metabolism go up? No, your metabolism goes down when you lose weight. So that causes you to get hungrier. The hunger hormones go up. The fullness hormones go down. Your insulin sometimes becomes a little dysregulated then. It will, re- it will correct itself, but then when your metabolic rate goes down, your insulin isn't as efficient. So that's why we have to monitor these people. We sometimes have to adjust their medication, but if they are not hitting their protein goals and strength training and making sure their muscle is good to up that metabolic rate a little bit, they're going to regain weight. It's not like these people lost all this weight and decided, okay, I'm going to just eat like I did before. No, they're, they're like, I'm doing all the things I was doing before and now I'm not losing anymore. Now I'm regaining. So that's why these medications are not intended to be for short-term use. That, that metabolic adaptation is the reason why the disease is chronic and relapsing. So someone that just wants to take something like Ozempic to kickstart, and I see so many like nutritionists that are talking about the compounded GLP-1s that they're taking from med spas, 
that they're on it for their jump start. They're going to be starving when they go off of it and their metabolism isn't going to be as efficient. So they're going to regain. They were not intended for short-term use. And I, when someone asked me, how long do I need to be on this medication? It is true. Not everybody has to take it forever. Sometimes you can reset that set point that your body wants to stay at and your hormones work better. And so we just monitor you very quickly and maybe put you on a different, you know, medication that's not an injection or something that you maybe you just take as needed. Sometimes people can be successful that way, but the majority of time the body reverts. And that's why so many people, about 65% of people that have bariatric surgery are going to require medical uh, intervention with medication afterwards because of that metabolic adaptation. So it, when someone just wants it to lose 10, five to 15 pounds, that's not the answer. They can, it's probably, they're probably just going to be losing it from muscle and they're going to regain it afterwards. And they might give themselves more of a metabolic problem than they had to begin with. Sure. So that would probably be the candidate that I would not give it for. I will say though, it's not indicated right now and I'm not, and it's not the work that I do right now, but they are studying medications like these and metformin for Alzheimer's, cancer, other inflammatory diseases, MS, that metabolic dysfunction is a precursor to. So I wouldn't be surprised if people are microdosing these medications in the future to help prevent disease or using medications, maybe not even microdosing, depends on the person individually to prevent diseases like this. I could totally see that because metabolic function and blood sugar balance is key for inflammation. So I'm open to the future for sure. But I guarantee you those people are not going to be taking those medications for a couple of weeks. Right. So what I'm getting from you is this is really a long-term commitment that you need to be with a really qualified healthcare professional, like under their care. So, so if someone thinks that they are a good candidate for Ozempic, where are we looking? Who are we looking for? So it depends. If the med spas are prescribing the brand medication, so if they're actually prescribing Ozempic and, and have a program where they have like an in-body scale or a SECA and they'll monitor you and they, if they talk about nutrition with you, that's totally fine. So I don't want to um, rag on all med spas, but okay. if they are using the compounded version of Ozempic and Manjaro, like trisepatide and semaglutide, the Obesity Medicine Association takes a strong stance against those because they are not FDA regulated. They are not tested on humans. You don't know about the labs that these medications are being made in. They could have, you know, mercury or lead pipes. You don't, you don't know where they're being made. They're not regulated. They are not tested on humans. And the patients that I have had that are taking some of the compounded, the side effects are so much worse than the brand because you don't know what, what fillers or anything that they're putting in them. So I just would personally be very wary on the compounded version. Unfortunately, they're more affordable. So for people that are having these insurance issues and they can't afford them, you know, they're either getting their medications from Canada, which they are cheaper in Canada. And I personally have prescribed to Canada before, which could, because that's, they're still using the brand. But I personally, in my practice personally, does not prescribe the compounded just because of the risk of we don't know what they're getting. But I, I will say, so if anybody feels like they are struggling with the things that I described, signs of insulin resistance, and they would really like a workup from their doctor, start with their primary doctor. We are really trying to educate people and starting with primary care of monitoring for obesity. 
So when you get your yearly physical, ask for a fasting insulin level. Look at your lipid panel. And if your triglyceride ratio with your triglycerides and your HDL, if that is greater than a three to one ratio, that's also a sign of insulin resistance. If your fasting blood sugar is elevated over 100, if your insul fasting insulin level is greater than 10, you know, so ask your, your doctor for a workup. And there are plenty of other things that we can do. We'll talk about the gut microbiome and then PCOS and also thyroid. Check your thyroid, but not just your TSH. Check your check for thyroid antibodies. Oh my gosh, I yeah. learned that in a huge way. I have low thyroid, and I work with a functional medicine doctor who does a big work. They, you know, because these are really good points to make because your PCP will sometimes just do the bare minimum, and we have to advocate for ourselves and say, "Can I do a full thyroid panel? Can you check my iron? Can you, you know, whatever else?" So those those are really good tips. And I'm glad you said that because vitamin deficiencies are huge. If your zinc is off, your blood sugar balance is going to be off. Zinc has a significant role in blood sugar balance. So um, metabolic function. So ask for a zinc level. Vitamin D has a, vitamin D pretty much affects every system of your body. And people with insulin resistance are chronically low in vitamin D. So get your vitamin D tested. These people are going to be vitamin D lifers. Why are we so deficient in all of these minerals? Well, the reason why it's become so prevalent all the time, um, along with obesity, the quality of our soil, the quality of our plants, the pesticides being used, our environment that we live in with everything plastic, everything heavily fragranced, the PFAs, chemicals, we're just toxic loading ourselves. And one third of the population has a gene mutation called MTHFR where you do not detox properly, you don't methylate properly. So it, no wonder we're having trouble. Insulin resistance, PCOS, obesity, definitely genetic component, but our genes are bathed in our environment. So we, our genes can be turned on and off based on how we are treating our body and how we are treating our environment. That's why people with sometimes thyroid issues, infertility, sometimes when they change their environment, products that they use, what they're ingesting, then your hormones start working correctly. So it's that's why so I true. think functional medicine, in addition with Western medicine, is very important. I'm not a one versus the other. You know, don't take any medications. There, you know, there, you can try supplements all you want, but if you really have the significant insulin resistance where that signaling pathway is so messed up that your metabolism is broken, sometimes just supplements aren't going to cut it and changing your diet. Sometimes you need help to make that signaling pathway better. And so your metabolism that's been broken for decades can flip back on. But sometimes Western medicine doesn't like to address, you know, environmental factors or vitamin deficiencies or the gut microbiome. So I'm a strong believer in both. Me too. That's my whole philosophy is I have my PCP. I have my functional medicine doctor, even with um, my birth plan. I have my OB, but I also have my doula. I just think yep. you need yep. both. And it's so interesting when I started working with my functional medicine doctor, I didn't know the name for that, but she said, it's really looking like you have trouble with your detox pathways. And she was like, this is why you crave a green juice. This is why you crave a steam room or a sauna, all a lymphatic drainage massage, all of these things make me feel like a different person. And mm -hmm. she was like, this is why it's just, it's so interesting. I just have to tell you about this amazing, gorgeous woman named Avani Nayak. She's the co-founder of Avani Derm Spa and Nayak Plastic Surgery. And you can head to episode 513 to learn more about her.
Avani is a skincare expert, and she's the kind of gal who looks about 15 years younger than she actually is, but in the most natural, glowing way. So everyone always wants to know exactly what she's doing. Avani has her very own skincare line by Avani Derm Spa that is full of medical grade products that are fully backed by science, so they will really and truly change your skin. My sister-in-law has the best skin, and she is obsessed with Avani's Koji pads because they help with sunspots and texture, and they're also really great for hyperpigmentation. I personally love the Peptide Hydration Serum. It is a huge dose of oil-free moisture with peptides and hyaluronic acid, which we all need, and it's super light, so it's perfect for any skin type and for any skincare routine. One of the best things about this serum is that one bottle can literally last you four to five months, which is amazing. I'm also loving her Radiant Light Moisturizer. It feels like silk, and it's also jam-packed with all of these active ingredients that both target fine lines and protect your skin from environmental stressors. Ingredients like ceramides, peptides, green tea, resveratrol, and caffeine. So for 10% off of any of Avani's products, go to dermspastore.com and enter code GLOW10 at checkout. That is code GLOW10 at checkout at dermspastore.com for 10% off. And for more information, just scroll down to the bottom of the show notes for this episode. So I want to go back to PCOS and the link with insulin resistance. So I know so many women that have PCOS. So for someone who has no idea what that is, can you explain what PCOS is? So um, it is the endocrine disorder where you are, again, your insulin signaling pathway is not working efficiently. So then also the follicles become enlarged. So then your ovaries will sometimes look like chocolate chips because those follicles just will get stuck and you don't ovulate. So then you'll have excess insulin, excess testosterone, male hormone, and you'll get, you know, facial hair or chest hair, uh, male pattern baldness. So it's a hormone and endocrine disorder. And it's something that you have to work the person up individually because not everybody with PCOS is going to have a beard. Um, Not everybody with PCOS is going to be pre-diabetic. There's a spectrum. There can be the rail thin person that doesn't ovulate, or there can be the extremely large person. I was just about to say that. I have friends who are teeny, teeny, teeny tiny with PCOS and friends who really struggle with their weight who have PCOS. And, And so it is such a spectrum. So really having an educated provider that will give you a very thorough workup and also working with someone functional medicine, hopefully your provider would, you know, be educated in both. And I, my goal, you know, especially with our obesity society in St. Louis is to educate providers on knowing how to do both and knowing how to test the microbiome because people, very often people with PCOS have trouble with their gut microbiome. And so having someone that will do the stool testing, have someone that will test your hormones, having someone that will test vitamin deficiencies, when you correct all these things, your body starts working better. Because again, there's also a genetic component with PCOS, but those genes can get turned on and off based on the environment you bathe your genes in. So there's also a significant connection with PCOS, obesity, but also thyroid dysfunction and Hashimoto's. And so you really should get a significant thyroid workup because those things can go hand in hand. 
Um, there are some studies showing that giving up gluten when you have Hashimoto's can be helpful for your thyroid, but also for PCOS. Lowering inflammation is pretty much a common denominator with those diseases because, you know, unburdening your body from the toxins, opening your detox pathways, correcting any nutritional deficiencies, improving your insulin signaling pathway, and getting your body to perform more efficiently, then things start to work a little bit better. But again, some people need help from Western medicine with those like metformin, or sometimes they need medications to help them ovulate. So whatever you need, but I don't think that you can address the underlying cause and contributing factors with only the medications. I think you need to really dive deep into the person individually and see what's going on with their hormones, what's going on with their gut, what's going on with their vitamins. It's so frustrating with PCOS because the women I know, my friends, family members, it's such a full-time job, like what you're saying. So like, yes, maybe they're on Ozempic, maybe they're on metformin, maybe, but also the lifestyle stuff of cleaning up the toxic load, the plastics, um, figuring out the gut microbiome, all of the vitamin deficiencies. It's a lot. It it affects it affects your fertility. And so getting scented candles out of your house and scented soaps and scented products, um, dryer sheets. Uh, it's, it's it almost seems overwhelming. And uh, actually, we made a lot of those switches in our household. And at first, my husband didn't get it. He's like why are we, why are we going so overboard with this? And I was like, you know, I'm in my fertile years. I want to be able to minimize our family's toxic load. You know, we have, I have family history of that gene mutation I talked to you about. So it really is just giving yourself a leg up because our environment is just downhill, keeps going downhill. You need to educate yourself and give yourself a leg up of things that you can do to improve your body and your hormones. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of doing your own research. So, so say someone feels like they have PCOS, who are they looking for? Who, who should they, what type of provider? So usually the OBGYN, um, the PCPs can order baseline labs, like a, um, insulin and testosterone, a DHEA, and then sometimes order a pelvic ultrasound. But I would say probably start with an OBGYN. Okay. Okay. And then functional medicine is very familiar with PCOS as well. So also maybe establishing with a functional medicine person. Right. So a great OB, a great functional medicine doctor, hand in hand, go from there. Yep. So another thing that has, I've been hearing about a lot that's really common that I'm wondering if you see is estrogen dominance. Estrogen dominance can go along with the people that have trouble detoxifying. So what I know from my patients that have had estrogen dominance is that they have really horrible, heavy periods, puffy, and also they're not ovulating as well, sometimes have fertility issues. Um, but the detoxification pathways that I talked about opening, so doing things like saunas, getting your liver, because your liver is the organ that processes and flushes out the estrogen. So getting your liver to function better so supplements to help with that and opening the detox pathways can help minimize the estrogen. And so then your body can perform a little bit more efficiently. When I got off the pill, I was a disaster. I was, I worked with a functional medicine doctor. My thyroid was a mess and I was estrogen dominant. And it's literally everything you just said. Periods, insane. I felt like I had the flu when I got them and I was getting blood clots, like so puffy, all of mm -hmm. these things. And what we did was... Um, she put me on like all of these liver detox things. I was doing a lot of, you know, it was. Did you take DIM? Yes. I was yeah. on DIM. Yes. 
there's a supplement called dim detox that I put people on sometimes um, that can be helpful with that. Yeah. So opening the detox pathways, getting your liver to function more efficiently because your liver is what flushes and uh, out that excess estrogen. And then you feel so much better and having too much estrogen actually can increase your cancer risk. So many breast cancers are estrogen dominant. They're not, we're finding actually a lot of cancers are, are they're BRCA and the genetically negative, but then estrogen receptor positive. So it's excess estrogens. You don't want excess estrogen in your body. It's your body does not like that. And actually plastics can be seen as a foreign estrogen in your body. That's why they're called endocrine disruptors. So many of these products that we are using, they're affecting our hormones because they are seen as foreign hormones in our body. So then our body starts to become all whacked out. So estrogen is one of the hormones that we really don't want excess of. So again, opening the detox pathways, getting your liver to perform more efficiently, that's usually on the treatment pathway. It's so crazy. Our hormones are so complicated as women. It feels so overwhelming. I know. And they're and always it's, changing. And it's expensive. It, you know what's, what's unfortunate is that it's expensive to get healthy and it's expensive to advocate for yourself because- very often these, the stool testing, um, some of, some of the hormone testing, hopefully most of it would be covered by insurance if you have a provider willing to order it. But so many people have providers that aren't willing to order it, that you can, you, a lot of people can order it themselves on certain websites. Um, there's one called Rupa Health that I like to use. Um, and then there's some other ones that you can order your own hormones, but I really would recommend working with the provider because then it's like you have the results and what do you do with them? People should not be treating themselves but I do think that people should research and advocate for themselves with their provider. And hopefully you would have a good enough relationship with your PCP or your OB and said, Hey, I would really like to, to try this. I feel like I'm having symptoms of this. I would, can we do a workup for this? And hopefully they, you know, will appreciate your autonomy and give you the orders. I'm with Parsley Health and it's all telehealth and I love them and they're not in every state, but they're amazing. And a lot of it is covered by insurance, but they're the ones that did like a full workup on me, helped me with my estrogen dominance. We worked for so long to just balance everything out. And I literally credit that for me being able to get pregnant so fast was like balancing everything, cleaning up my lifestyle, getting the plastics out, taking the dim, you know, all of those things. So Let's talk to someone who maybe they are carrying extra weight. Maybe they just had a baby or maybe they went through a hard time, but it is like 15 to 20 pounds and they're not they're, they, You know, they don't qualify for these medications. Like they're, they're, they don't have obesity. What do you tell someone like, like what are some first steps especially for women, especially? Absolutely. Absolutely. So first of all, they're not going to know if they qualify for the medications until uh, they have, until they ask their doctor for that workup, even, even with someone with 15 to 20 pounds, you know, they could, pregnancy can be a huge thing that triggers inflammation and triggers your insulin resistance, especially if you had gestational diabetes, you have a higher risk of developing insulin or having insulin resistance and diabetes for the rest of your life. So it can be a huge trigger for inflammation and weight gain. So I do still think that asking your doctor for a fasting insulin level and thyroid workup um, and knowing what your fasting blood sugar is, looking at your li fasting lipid panel, looking at the triglycerides and the HDL. So I still think that everyone should get a workup. Um, but for someone that really maybe just can't shed that last 10 pounds and they don't really feel like they you know, are struggling with obesity, 
The postpartum period is a huge time for detoxification. That's why, you know, you get the sweats, the BO, <laughs> that it's your body, it, it's churning and churning, trying to detoxify because it just, it pretty much had a parasite in it for nine months, you know, a beautiful parasite, but it's, <laughs> your body is really trying to detoxify. And if your body's clogged up and your detox pathways are not open, sometimes you hang on to excess weight. So opening your detox pathways, things like castor oil packs, taking a liver support supplement, actually, um, the post immediate postpartum period, um, I recommend, and I did myself, it's called, um, a liver. So taking a liver supplement. So ancestral supplements are probably one of my favorite because you actually don't have to take the raw, the raw is the most powerful, but you would have to like find it from a source or get it from a farmer or someone that would sell you that. And it tastes really bad, but, um, there you can get a desiccate of organs. So organ meats can be huge with detoxification. So taking a liver supplement, I take the ancestral supplements, beef liver. So if you take that in the postpartum period, it can really help open the detoxification pathways. Um, making sure you don't have any nutritional deficiencies, you know, if you're not taking your prenatals anymore. And so addressing those, really looking at your quality of your foods. But if you're still breastfeeding, you probably shouldn't be dieting and trying to lose weight. So I will say that. So I would wait till you're done nursing, but I really do feel for the women because some women lose a ton of weight with breastfeeding, but a lot of the population doesn't lose the weight until they're done breastfeeding. And because the reason behind that is that your estrogen is pretty much in the toilet when you're um, breastfeeding. So estrogen is directly linked with metabolism. That, that is why women, when they go through menopause, they gain weight around the midsection because the sex hormones go down, the estrogen goes down. So your estrogen goes down, sometimes your insulin goes up and your metabolism is a little bit at, at a halt. So that's why some people don't shed that, those last 10 pounds until they're done nursing. So everybody's different, but that could be a reason why that's also happening. So maybe if they're not done nursing, just being hopeful that when they're done, they might lose that excess weight. Yeah. It seems like a very long process. Like it's not like a quick... <laughs> One thing that I will say is also the something that could significant that can help with metabolism and hormones for estrogen dominance, PCOS, obesity, um, people not even qualifying for these medications. We often as women neglect fiber. Fiber is huge, balances our blood sugar, helps detoxify our colon. It, it, fiber is huge. You know, we need 25 to 35 grams of fiber a day and that is hard. So fiber binds to things in our gut and gets out the sludge and helps push it out. When things are just sitting in there, those toxins are just sitting in there. And so actually fiber lowers your cancer risk. So women very often neglect fiber and fiber can help you also flush out those excess hormones, especially the fiber and the cruciferous vegetable group, like broccoli, broccoli sprouts, um, the cruciferous vegetable group, broccoli, cauliflower, asparagus, Brussels sprouts, um, bok choy, cabbage. So things like that can also be really helpful. Increasing your fiber, cruciferous vegetables, really looking at your protein, you know, your, our minimum protein should be what we weigh in kilograms. So that would be our weight about our weight divided by two. That should be your minimum protein for day. one day. 
for one day. Yeah. So most women are not getting that in. I know when I started working with my functional medicine doctor, she was looking at my protein and I, I was having like a hard boiled egg with part of an avocado for breakfast. Mm-hmm. And she was like, no, and that's, that's right. That's like seven grams of protein. So that you really needed like triple that amount. Yes. She was like, yeah. absolutely not. Like you are a person that needs a lot of protein. And I had no idea. I, I just hadn't, I had no idea. I thought one egg was way more. I thought I was good. I had no idea. And sometimes actually the people on these medications, like the GLP ones, like Ozempic um, or Manjaro, they, appetite is so decreased that they cannot get in their protein goals. So that's someone that I would lower their dose or I'd say, or if they're, they're excited about the weight loss and they're not wanting to make the changes, I'd say, maybe this isn't the medication for you because if you aren't meeting your protein goals and you're not strength training, you're not really following my plan and it's dangerous for you. And then I feel like I'm doing you harm and, you know, you take an oath not to do harm to someone. So, but yes, protein is so important. It fuels our muscles. Um, Sometimes if people have a hard time getting in protein, you can take an amino acid supplement. That can be also helpful for someone that just really feels like they can't eat it. You can take an amino acid supplement um, as long as like it's clean ingredients. That's a really, really good point. So something I want to touch on really quickly is the gut microbiome and how it links to obesity. First of all, what is the gut microbiome if no one's heard of it before? Okay. So everybody has a gut microbiome. You were born with it. Um, Usually the gut microbiome in a baby is, is very healthy. It's very, you know, you flourish it. The colostrum that you give your baby as a new uh, newborn is full of antibodies. Your whole, the majority of your immune system is in our guts. So it really depends on the gut bacteria from how we are going to fight disease, how we're going to express our genes. And so I will tell you that when it comes to obesity and hormones and any diseases, we are looking at the gut microbiome and they're researching it. They have found more than 70 genes linked to obesity. And so why are those not getting turned on in everybody? Somebody can have the genetic predisposition for obesity. Why take siblings? Some of them have the same DNA. Why does someone become overweight or have obesity? And why does someone not? Well, they looked at two, they looked at two rats. One of them was significantly overweight and one of them was thin. And they took a stool sample from the obese rat and put it in the thin rat and that rat rat became the same size as the rat that was obese. So that's why they're looking at even stool sampling to treat obesity. That's all in like research. So the gut microbiome is huge. There are certain things in the gut microbiome, certain gut bacteria that give you more likely to have better metabolism or to be more thin. One of them is called acromancia. So there are certain supplements that you can take that it can increase acromancia. Surprisingly, metformin is one of the medications uh, that can cause improvement in acromancia. So that's also a metabolic benefit. Um, But there are supplements like berberine that can also improve your acromancia. And there are other gut bacteria that are associated with increased thinness versus having obesity. So it's just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much research. And then practice is a decade behind the research. So we're getting there. But the gut microbiome is huge when it comes to weight gain. That is insane. That study is blowing my mind. I will touch on, I keep saying has obesity versus obese. I think that's also very important with the stigma because someone is not their disease. So it is really not 
correct to say someone is obese. We, we should say they have obesity. Just like I wouldn't say, you know, someone is diabetic. I know we do say that, but the people are not their disease. So, and I really try to always, if I correct myself and say it or else, and I don't want to be that person nagging other people, but I do think it's really important to say someone has obesity instead of someone is obese. So anyway, there was a rat with obesity and then a thin rat. They put the stool sample of the rat with obesity into the thin rat and the thin rat became the same size as the larger rat. So, so they're looking at, you know, fecal transplants for things like obesity and it's crazy. So the gut microbiome, there are significant amount of gut bacteria that have been found for, to more lean towards the increased thinness versus someone that would be larger. So I really like to do the gut microbiome test to see, are you low in these types of bacteria? I'm just really excited for where medicine is going. I think it's so great and so interesting because when people have these metabolic conditions, it it does affect your mental health. Like we were talking about people develop eating disorders because they're like, I'm trying, I'm eating my salads. I'm working out, I'm getting my protein, all these things, but they have all these things working against them that we just didn't know before in the eighties and the nineties. We didn't have the research. And I just think it's going to improve so many people's quality of life. Really? it's And I think that if someone, if there's a health care providers out there or anybody listening to this that is more is interested in treating obesity, um, the Obesity Medicine Association is, has really great resources for people in continuing education. Um, also, there's something called Obesity Week. So maybe you can use your continuing education hours for that. But you really need to interview the person that you speak to and talk and go back to their childhood. What were their behaviors with food? Any sort of traumas that they dealt with? So I, I asked someone, what is your relationship with food? What does food do for you? You know, and there'll be, if there is someone that has a significant behavioral issue with food, that hunger reward brain system called the limbic system, if that's dysregulated, you can put them on Ozempic all day long and they're going to eat past it. They are going to, people with significant binge eating disorder, that it really is binge eating disorder, or they're really rewarded with food. If you take away their appetite, they're still going to have that need to reward themselves. So they'll eat past that fullness and they won't lose any weight on Ozempic. So it is not good for everybody. You really need to assess what is going on with the person. And so I just think that that's really important for providers that are willing, I, I really would commend someone who is willing and interested in treating this disease, but the interview process when you are just picking a medication for someone is extremely important. But this is what makes you so incredible and so smart is that you are a Western medicine practicing person, but you also do sort of root cause. Like you also start from the beginning and you want to know why you want to know the person's story, not just treat something with the snap of your finger. Absolutely. It's so cool. So I feel like everyone needs to re-listen to this and like take notes. You dropped so many good, like so much. I learned so much. Like this really packs a punch. Um, okay. So before I let you go, I just want to ask you some fun questions that I ask everyone just to get to know you a little bit more. Love it. Let's go. Okay. So Sarah, do you have a favorite beauty product, a favorite beauty hack, a thing you do, or a product you have that you just cannot live without? I feel like I have a few. They're kojic acid. So they, there's something called koji pads. Those are like a holy grail for me. They've completely changed my skin. Um, I get mine from Avani Derm Spa, but they have kojic um, acid. Yeah. 
Avani Derm Spa. Also, I have a discount code, GLOW10, 10% off. I love her. I absolutely adore her. Yes, their products have changed my skin for sure. Um, And then my LED red light mask. I think that's made a huge difference as well. Um, Also, my magnesium. My magnesium has made such a difference in my whole body. Um, Magnesium glycinate in particular really helps calm your nervous system. So I take it at night before bed to go to sleep, anywhere from three to 400 milligrams. And that has just had me give me the most restful sleep. And when you have more restful sleep, your body glows. So really your appearance starts on the inside. So magnesium, I feel like has made such a huge difference in my life. So those three. I love magnesium. I'm right there with you with all three and I love my LED. So is there a favorite best advice you've ever received? Um, A couple of things that I like to say are the most important things that I go by in my life. First of all, your health and the health of the people that you love is your wealth in your life. If you don't have your health and if the people that you love do not have their health, you don't really have as, as good of a life as you could have. So health is your wealth is probably one of the best advice that I've ever heard. Um, and also just in life, we get so caught up with needing to have all of these people in our corner. And some people try to have too many big groups of friends or try to do too many things socially that they get burnt out. I've learned, especially, you know, approaching the mid thirties, it is quality over quantity, really keeping the people in your life that fill your cup and getting rid of toxic people because being around a chronically toxic environment can also affect your hormones, can affect your nervous system and your brain. So that can affect how your body functions. So really making sure that the people that you surround yourself with are filling your cup on a daily basis. So quality over quantity. I feel like that's one of the biggest switches from 20s to 30s mindsets, don't you? It was like, you're 20, you want this big group. You always want to, you know, you want like all this stuff. And 30s, you're like, let's pare down the people, the wardrobe, the skincare routine, everything. It's just more quality over quantity. Like spend more on like two things as opposed to like 50, you know, ridiculous things. Mm -hmm. So do you have a favorite book? I feel like the answer to that question changes every year um, because I just feel like I have different favorites every year. But probably a few that I've read the past year or two, um, The Silent Patient was a really good mystery book. Um, Pretty much anything by Taylor Jenkins Reid. Carrie Soto is back. It's about a tennis player. I love that one. Um, Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. That was so good. Oh my gosh, that was based on, I think, like um, Elizabeth Taylor and Rita Hayworth's lives. It was, it was crazy. Um, and then also this book that I read recently called Book Lovers. I just really love that one. So I like feel-good books. I feel like I read medical things all the time. So I like feel-good books. Um, so those are some ones that I've really, that have impacted me the past year. So yeah, you need a little break. So is there anything you'd like to speak out about or bring attention to an issue, a cause, a person we should follow? Um, I think that first of all, I hope that people remember to give people grace that are maybe taking these medications that actually do need them. I think that there is such a stigma and people can, you know, talk bad or think bad or bash people that may be on one of these medications or people assume if anybody loses weight that it must be Ozempic. I think people need to be given some grace. You don't know why someone is taking a medication. You don't know what's going on in their body, what's going on in their life. And you know, people that are taking, taking autonomy over their health 
and becoming their own advocate, I think that we need to support each other. You know, it is up to them and their provider to make sure that they're doing things the right way. But I think that we need to, there needs to be not be such a big stigma that are getting treatment for weight problems. I Um, completely agree. It's between you and your doctor. You don't know what someone's blood work says. You don't know what's going on with them just by their appearance. Right. And you don't know what they've gone through their whole lives that maybe, maybe you met them when they were at a thinner period in their life, or maybe you met them when they were at a more overweight period of their life. You don't know. So I think that people need to not be such quick, so quick to judge people. Um, And then I also wanted to say a book that I'm wanting to read is Superhuman by Dave Asprey. He's a biohacker. And so it's all about longevity and how to hack your body into living longer. So that's an area of research that I'm really interested in is there are certain things that we can do to help our longevity. So that's a book that I'm really wanting to read. Um, But also an organization that I'm really passionate about um, and you can follow them on Instagram um, at WOEXSTL, W-O-E-X-S-T-L, the Women's Exchange. And I know you're really familiar with this place because it's a STL claim to fame. Um, They're famous for the iconic cherry dress, but they're a women-led organization since 1883 that really helps other women entrepreneurs feel safe in the business space and they support, you know, local artisans and it just, they really are just empowering other women. And I think it's a really great company and they are completely women led. And I've loved going there since I was little with my nani, you know, all the locations that they've had, but I just am really passionate about the women's exchange. And you're on the board, which is so impressive. That's, that's new this year, but it's still, it's very, it's very exciting. It was something that I really felt grateful to become a part of because I just really believe what they do for other women that may not have the resources or the education that they need to start their own business. Sarah, you're so impressive. You're so smart. Thank you so much for being here. If we want to work with you, if we want to follow you, how do we find you? Um, you, you can share my Instagram. I'm at Sarah Wooten NP um, underscore NP. And um, feel free to DM me if you have any questions. You know, I can't give specific medical advice um, over Instagram, but um, I do health coaching for people that qualify for it. But also really finding someone in your area that is willing to help you is also can be important. But I'm happy to give you advice where to start if you need it. Perfect. Sarah, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for having I was really excited to talk about this. So I appreciate you having me. Thank you for listening to Glow Up and Speak Out. If you liked this episode, it would mean so much if you could follow, rate, and review the show on Apple or Spotify. And for more content, make sure to check out our Instagram at Glow Up and Speak Out.